Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning and welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio, where we are helping women thrive. I am really excited to bring you our guest today because we're talking about something that is so relevant to absolutely every day that we get up in the morning and interact with other human beings. And I think that communicating has become rather challenging as Connected as we are, it actually has become more challenging rather than less challenging, in my view, mainly because we have so much remote communication, cyber communication, and less face-to-face communication. We're going to be talking today with Bill Protzman about his new book and the thoughts behind it, More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit. And in your communications, your organization, your workplace, your family, etc. And there are differences in the way men and women communicate. And there are differences in the way we now communicate on a routine basis. I, I heard something yesterday that said we check our phones 80 times a day. And I would say in the case of some people, that's a conservative number. So, Bill, I would love to welcome you to Wise Health for Women Radio, and let's explore this topic. Hey, Linda. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I am, I'm, tell me about it. This More than human, you and I, when we spoke prior to the show, mentioned all the things I just mentioned about the arm's length, etc. What is is it to you to expect that we are really having more difficulty talking to one another, the aging in a deeper level than ever before? So we're, we're talking here about like the human spirit, the human mm-hmm. spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Your human spirit and the power that that gives you. That's the thing. It's, it's that something more about life in this, you know what I mean? That, yes. that we're going to discuss that, that somethingness could be like fierce, courageous, or daring, or it could be subtle or steely or even calm. You've met people like that, just have this calm spirit that. That I call them things. serene. Yeah, and, it, and yeah, I love serene. to be around yeah. them. They're serene. They're very far and few between. So I'm making a big jump here on that because that human spirit for me is what I refer to as spirituality. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like danger around that word, but let's just go with the human spirit, meaning spirituality for our conversation, and, okay. and see where see where we go with that. Because for me, that's where it gets real. Practicing that. Now, I'm a, I'm a piano player, right? I play the piano, and I realize that if I'm going to go on stage, it, there's a certain amount of practice that's necessary for me to relieve the anxiety about hitting the right notes, right? Mm-hmm. You want to hit the right notes. So in a similar way, if I'm practicing my human spirit in a responsible way, that means when I get under pressure, my response comes from a practiced uh, spirit place instead of just a reactionary place. And that could mean a response to a text has a little slightly different change to it, or a response to a conversation has a slight bit more empathy to it. But that practice lets me perform under pressure. Or to interpret that, I might say that your default will 
practice and the muscle memory and your responses do that. But when we're communicating with other people, we often don't know, especially if we're not in the same room with them, if they've practiced, where are they now? Everyone seems to be struggling with something, but they may not express it. And I think that's where a lot of breakdown comes with the spirits aligning to communicate in a calm fashion. Would you what agree or disagree point. with that? Oh, completely. Because you're right. You never know where people are coming from. And all of our sort of natural built-in ability to read body language and mm-hmm. look into somebody's eyes or face and notice what's happening there, um, all those things sort of go away when you're doing things digitally. Mm-hmm. It's really odd, but having this conversation together without seeing one another, we have to pay attention to to the sound of each other's voice for those cues, right? Uh, And we're set up to do that. Human beings process sound in really amazing ways, and we can hear a lot of those things in each other's voices. Uh, We can hear tension when our boss calls up and starts yelling at me, right? So I know that sound. It's not something you have to learn. It's part of who you are. And you might have learned that at an early age when your parents were saying things to you. Even before you could process the words, you get the tone, right? So Mm -hmm. we have a new grandson. Uh, It's really cool. And he doesn't know the words. He barely knows what we look like, right? He's about a month old. (laughs) But the tone is so important, right? right? So little ones can hear the music in your voice or they can hear the stress, and, and re- they respond to and it. And they respond, yeah. It's, and, and we unlearn that, right? As adults, we learn to put on a poker face. But we still recognize those subtle clues in the sound of one another's voices. Uh, I've started to send voicemail again instead of texts or, um, or email hmm. because there's something about the sound of a voice that can communicate things that I can't communicate in writing. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and I think it's fascinating because – There is a discouragement of using voicemail these days. The comments are, you know, that's so yesterday. Um, I'm not going to pick up my voicemails. I don't have time for that. Just send me a text. I'm of the mind that a relationship held mostly with a few characters is the best way to become misunderstood. (laughs) Guaranteed. (laughs) I mean, seriously, right? And. And yet we think it's more efficient. Well, maybe it's more efficient for like talking about your bank balance or something, but it's not efficient when it comes to creating empathy or showing appreciation or even partnering to do a task. That can be very, very difficult. If you don't know where your partner is on a particular project or issue or you can't sense the stress that might be building behind their work, uh, that puts you at a disadvantage and it weakens the partnership, right? You might not weaken you, but it weakens the partnership. You make a really good point because I think what happens when everything is reduced down to texting, it becomes, let me put out an emoji that I think I'm trying to say. Um, And in some cases, I'm not joking, I've had to look up what the heck does that emoji mean? And then you're not sure that that person means it um, the way that they sent it because it's just a quick way to respond to someone when you're in a hurry. I, I worry that it's it's not that we're purposefully being thoughtless. We are purposely moving too fast. And sometimes you have to slow down to go fast, if that makes any sense. You have to slow down to be understood. And we're not doing a lot of that 
these days, in my opinion. And, and that's why you're more than human and cultivating spirit, I think, is very important because you're encouraging us to go back to basics in terms of if we lose humanness of empathy, appreciation, understanding what's happening in the background of people's lives so that we can give it context, we're losing an awful lot of foundational relationship blocks. I agree with you. Um, If you think about the last time that you got real appreciation for something, um, was it more meaningful if somebody sent you a quick note? Hey, Linda, thank you for that. That really meant a lot to me. That's a meaningful thing, right? Mm -hmm. But if that person even called you up and left a voicemail, it would reach you at a level that's much deeper than the little note or a text that they send off. And uh, I'm a proponent of taking that extra time to make the connection more human, mm-hmm. if you will. Maybe that's a lousy word for it, but it's the word we've got, right? Mm-hmm. So to make that connection on a human basis take place, it needs to be, first of all, given and also understood with humanity. And I guarantee you, if the boss called up and said, Bill, you've done a great job here, and I really appreciate that. That means so much more than if I got a quick text or email. I'd I'd still read the appreciation, but it gets into you at a spirit level if you hear it. Does does that make any sense or if it's in person? It makes sense to me, but I am just curious if this is generational because when I leave voicemails for my children, they're usually ignored and If I text, I'm much more apt to get a response. I'm wondering if this is somewhat generational. I think it was Marcus Aurelius that wrote back in the day about teenagers and how they just couldn't do anything right anymore and they were just misbehaving and doing all this stuff. Well, There's a musical about that, but why can't they be like we were? (laughs) Perfect in every way. This is the theme, right? It goes on. Um, Let's assume that it's just a part of growing up. And that, uh, well, I'll give you a story that maybe will illustrate this. When my son was maybe seven or eight, Mm -hmm. we were visiting a friend and the friend had this big fluffy dog and my son didn't have a dog. And uh, we were there for a couple of days just staying over. And one morning I came downstairs and there was my son curled up with this big fluffy dog, right? Well, it's an image that stayed in my mind. And of course, you know, if you saw that as a father, you'd go, oh, well, this is cool. Years later, my son plays ice hockey. He gets into fights. He's with the Marine Corps as a reservist. He's like this, you know, six foot five monster of a person. A couple of weeks ago, no, maybe it's about a month now, he got his first dog. (laughs) He loves that dog. So there's a need for this big, amazing, powerful guy to have that connection at a very, very visceral level with another creature, right? Mm -hmm. And it may be something that only a dog can do for him. But my point is that he can't get that connection with text or with email. There's something bigger than that that requires a authentic, like, living, breathing connection to fill him up. And, okay, so he's a millennial, but I suspect that all of us have that need deep inside us and that filling that need is a lot of what motivates us on a regular basis. I I agree with you, and I I think it is important to recognize it. I I wonder if 
we will be talking to an audience that is receptive to this thought or they haven't thought about it because I, I think it is a really fast moving society these days that relies a lot on those little phones in our hands. So we're going to go on a break. We'll be back right after a few messages and continuing our discussion on more than human talking about communication with Bill Protzman. Stay with us. You won't want to miss the rest. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. We live in an instant society, and we don't like to wait for anything. When it comes to weight loss, we want that extra weight off now. Even though the temptation is there to try a crash diet, it is not the best choice. You need to lose weight gradually, not instantly. When you cut your calories back too much, you will feel fatigued and have very low energy. Harvard Medical School recommends that women do not go below 1,200 calories a day, and men do not go below 1,500 calories per day. A sensible goal is to try to lose a half a pound to a pound a week. Don't skimp on essential nutrients that your body needs. Losing weight does not have to be a dreaded event. It should be positive and will give you extra energy when it's done right. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We are talking specifically about flourishing. 
And, you know, this show is really geared for those who are flourishing after 40. So I think we're looking at multi-generational listeners. And I think that there are some differences. And I, I can I can almost hear the don't send me a voicemail thing from some of our listeners to others that say, oh, could you could you put something in the mail? Because receiving something other than a bill is just amazing. Um, what you said earlier about the fact that hearing someone's voice saying something to you or that that image of a big dog hug um, from a marine you know makes an image to me that says we crave connections so as we're looking at these multi-generational things and we're trying to comply and and yet instill different things I know that I've used a couple of I'll call them antiquated ideas because it it pleases me. And I'll I'll give you one example. I have two little grandchildren, very small. But every week I write them a note in the mail addressed to just them with a a return address that says Nana. And it, it is just very fun. They look forward to receiving the mail. And I generated that because it's so easy to FaceTime and use technology these days. But I also want to make sure that there was a connection on a different level. And it has formed this wonderful, engaging thing that we talk about. And occasionally you'll slip something, stickers or a, a bird feather I found in it. And it it just, it gives them delight. But it gives me delight to know that I'm building on a relationship. I hope it makes a difference someday. I think it will. But I know that I love getting mail that is not a bill. How do you feel about that? I've read recently about people who are sending handwritten thank you notes. Mm-hmm. And these are business leaders, right? Right. And that kind of personal touch has a different energy than a text. Uh, a voicemail has a different energy than a text. And, and I think what we're talking about here is offering your best. Mm-hmm. I can't offer my best um, as effectively in a one-to-one using text messaging as I can in person or with a voice message or in a live phone call, it's much easier for me to offer my best there. Maybe it's just because I'm an old guy. Okay, let's face it. That may be true. And there's nothing wrong with text or the convenience of that. We, we need all of these things to make mm-hmm. it work. But I'd like to suggest to you that in the world we live in today, the exemplary businesses, the exemplary individuals, the ones who are breakthrough leaders in what they do, offer this authenticity in a way that is much different than just a quick text message. They do what you do, Linda. They write a note, right, and and send that off. I mean, a text of a brownie is not the same thing as a real-life <laughs> brownie. <laughs> well, you know, I also right? – you know, and to me, it's also really important that you can convey a huge amount of humanness in a hug. Sure. That can't be even matched in words at all sometimes. And comfort – you mentioned empathy before, but things like comfort, appreciation – you know, there they really are different ways to express it. And I think there's room for everything, you know, handwritten text, um, the convenience of email. Um, but what we're talking about is connection, not yeah. the superficial. And so superficiality is is a norm in our society, I believe. And I love when some beyond that into expressing 
their emotions about things. And communication is all about emotion. My mother used to say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And you mentioned tone earlier. Can you expand upon that a little bit? I can. And I'm going to go to a place where where the the sound of our communication doesn't even matter. Um, You're walking down a hallway and next to you is a person who is slightly in front of you. You come to a door and the person in front of you opens the door for you. Is there something about that communication that isn't good, that we don't want? And it doesn't matter whether the the person who opened the door is a man or a woman. That person has offered something to you in a very unique way that may result in a a glance between the two of you. Maybe not. But that person has acknowledged you as a human being in that moment in a very um, necessary way. Uh, This trend away from actual authentic connection like that or the courtesy of actually speaking to someone that you might see uh, whether you know them or not has left us in a terrible place where we're not so great at dialogue anymore. Uh, We're pretty good about arguing, but if you put two people in a digital argument together in the same room, um, the way that they'd speak to one another would change instantly. Mm -hmm. All of that sort of invective would be drained out of the conversation by putting them face to face. And yeah, I know we see this on TV and in the media, but you can't tell me that that's real. Those folks are there to sell advertising and they have a point of view and they're going to say their point of view in whatever way creates the biggest pop, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about two people having a thoughtful conversation. Well, those thoughtful conversations open with small acts of courtesy and acknowledgement like opening that door. Who knows who that person might have been? It could have been you know, the, the leader of a multinational corporation that opened the door for you. It could have been a homeless person who was just showing you appreciation. You don't know, but you do know that a connection happened. And that's the kind of connection we want to try to put into our communication because the research says that this kind of communication is what breakthrough exemplary leaders are practicing, right? They're I absolutely agree with you on that. And and I'm one of those nudgy people who actually engages intentionally because I'm so tired of being in places where everybody is buried in their phones. I recently was on a um, network event that was held on a boat out in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. And I was astounded at the number of people who sat in twos or stood in twos looking at their phones. And I I was just really surprised because they were missing out on the nature that was there. They were missing out on some fascinating conversations with people. Now, they had them because this was a long event and on a boat, you're captive. So it worked. But intentionally, and an example I use is um, when I'm in the grocery store line, you never know what your engagement is going to mean to someone. So if you're behind someone who is either older, has just a few things, or I let people go in front of me, I I try and get eye contact because I find that we have so little these days. We work alone. We are very busy. When we engage, it's for a different purpose. But being heard, being seen, those are amazing human fillers. And we yeah. miss out on them. And 
And I have been rewarded so many times with a smile, with a with someone who just picks up their head and their pop changes. And yeah. and I do it, I frankly get so much more out of it than they do, but it seems like it does help them as well in most cases. I've never been snarled at for engaging. So I tend to think that being heard and being seen is something that people are seeking. I'd love to see a study where they put people in an fMRI machine and instead of playing like music for them, which is a great way of, you know, getting a great brain image to scan, I'd like to see them show an appreciation while they're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see them sending and receiving texts while they're in that situation. So we could say to the person, the FRO, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you're here and giving your time for our study. That means a lot to us. And then we could send them a similar text and just see which regions of the brain light up and what brain chemistry results from those two kinds of appreciation. And I bet you, because I haven't seen anything on this yet, I, I bet you cookies to donuts that the authentic appreciation is the one that creates the pop that we need, right? Releases mm-hmm. the chemistry in our in, in our systems or whatever the biological or physiological results are. I would bet you those are the ones that matter. Haven't you been helped by somebody in a store who is enthused, looks you in the eye and and, and you engage and and you feel so much better as you go out i mean there are brain chemicals that come out at at these times too that we're missing out on and and be reclusive you can have everything in the world sent to you you know in 24 hours if that's what you choose to do what is your suggestion increasing the engagement obviously as individuals but is there a greater overview comment you'd like to make sure um a very wise man once said, might have been a woman once said, that you have to give what you I'm sorry, Bill. I think we lost you on yeah. Skype. Say that again, please. Are we there? We are now. Okay. So a, a wise woman once, or maybe a man said, we have to give what we want to receive. And I think mm-hmm. that's the key, Linda. If you're practiced up and capable of giving these things that are so important to us as as organisms that live, uh, you're going to be able to give that stuff without a thought of whether it's coming back. But what you'll find is that it is coming back. Mm-hmm. So got to start somewhere, right? Whatever that is, whether that's learning to be more grateful. Uh, you can say, well, I'm a grateful person, but what does that mean? Do you actually show appreciation? Do you know how to say thank you to your kid who does the dishes or you know, to, to your business partner who does something nice without being asked just because. Do you know how to be grateful for that? These are you things know, we can learn, right? We can learn. And an attitude of gratitude goes a long way towards creating that mindset that has you giving as in, instead of tunneling inward, which, which as a society we've got an issue with, I think. We've got to go on another break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk more about the differences men and women expu- express the human spirit and much more. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. you ever wonder how reindeer survive the severe cold? Well, they snuzzle around for some moss to eat. 
Moss contains a special chemical that helps keep their body fluids warm. And they're going to have to keep warm if they're going to pull Santa's sleigh every year. Santa's sleigh was originally called a wing doodle. Both male and female reindeer grow antlers, but male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter. I can't help but wonder why Santa's reindeer from Rudolph to Blitzen had male names. Since they had antlers, they would have had to be female. We women should have known only females would be able to drag a hefty man outfitted in a red velvet suit, originally called a Poopin' Daddy, all around the world in one night and not get lost. It's Marching Day I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Do you realize that sugar-sweetened beverages are the number one source of calories in the United States? Weight Watchers says so and encourages you to think before you drink. A 12-ounce can contains the equivalent of 10 teaspoons of sugar. Most of us drink one and a half cans a day, which is a roaring 500 cans a year. Drinking one can of regular soda a day can cause you to gain as many as 10 pounds in a year. Even if you drink diet sodas every day, you need to go easy. Every once in a while, it's okay, but drinking sodas daily is not a good choice. Drinking pure water is the best, and green tea is another great idea. It's important to stay hydrated and healthy, so scale back on sodas and choose water instead. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Miss Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Bill Protzman. And uh, earlier when he said he plays the piano, um, I should tell you that he's a concert pianist and he's very accomplished as a speaker and, and knowing how to express emotions. But I want to talk about the differences that you feel, and I'll, I'll throw in what I feel, about the way men and women express their human spirit, their emotions, um, whether verbally or non-verbally, and what are some of those in your view? Wow, this is a great topic. Um, I used to think that the human spirit was sort of gender-specific, and I think that may be true in many ways. Uh, generally speaking, women get to mother their kids, right? And, and mm-hmm. men get to father their kids, but that's a big overgeneralization. Uh, I'd like to take it a little further and say that those kinds of skills, those spiritual practices, those practical applications of our human spirit can be learned, can be learned. Uh, I grew up very locked up as an individual. I had the piano, as you mentioned, I could play my emotions at the piano. Mm -hmm. But actually having a language, just plain old words, to explain what I was feeling to someone else, I, I didn't have that. So it wasn't until my 30s, I was 30 years old, Linda, where I had to go back and try to figure out how the words that I knew fit the feelings that I could play so well at the piano but couldn't talk about, right? Mm. So if you'd met me back then, um, I would have been this locked up guy who couldn't say to you, gosh, I so appreciate the opportunity to talk to you this morning, right? It wasn't in my language. I didn't have that in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And isn't that strange? But over the course of time, you know, I've learned how to talk about those things. So that might have been a very male thing, I don't know, to not be able to talk about your feelings is sometimes 
you know, males get generalized, generalized that way. But I know women who can't talk about their feelings. I was just going to say, I, I think it fits on both sides. I, I think part of it is nature and nurture, yes. and some of it is need. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, when we were just chatting over the break, uh, you brought up a situation that's very familiar to me. I volunteer with a lot of veterans, mm-hmm. um, many of them combat era, uh, Vietnam era veterans who mm-hmm. are very locked up. Mm-hmm. They still feel, but they just don't have like the way of being able to get that out. So the question is, how do you relate on an authentic level to someone who doesn't have the ability to sort of relate back to you the way you want, right? Mm-hmm. We always think, what well, this is what I want, right? But, but well, it's clearly it's because that's what I want. That's the right thing. Uh, maybe not always so. So if you're looking to uh, show some appreciation to a veteran – You've heard you've heard the stories about how many veterans say, "Well, thank you for your service." Well, that's just my job. That's what I do. It's like you know, thanking the mailman for delivering the mail. And veterans have that sort of detached, or can have that detachment from their service. But their service meant other things. Their service mm-hmm. meant, in many ways, that they sacrificed a good portion of their youth. Um, it meant that they turned out to not be as close to the family that they thought they'd be close to. There are other things that are involved in that. That are very authentic human experiences. Um, I've never been in combat, but clearly someone who's won a Purple Heart has stories that they may not be able to tell. So going beyond the thank you and trying to get to what's underneath that, it takes some it takes some practice, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. You might be really good at being appreciative, but if the veteran you're speaking to doesn't relate to that appreciation, you've got to find some other way of getting in on that connection. And oftentimes that's not easy, right? Right. Even even for those who are practiced at it, it's not easy. So you find yourself in a place where, yes, you have to be uncomfortable and vulnerable. And it's 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 not the simplest thing in the world to create that connection. But I'll tell you what, anyone who's been in that place of a veteran in combat knows what it's like to be a battle buddy. Because they will never leave their their battle buddy behind. Mm-hmm. It's always the two of you looking out for each other. And offering that sort of connection to a veteran is a completely different thing. You know, I, I find, though, that you can also translate that to a general need. I think there are a lot of people who are going through some very difficult things. We often don't know what that may be. And I always caution people who have rushed to judgment on a, a situation that, you know, your priority may not be their priority today. Um, they may be going through something you're unaware of and that everyone has something. But let's talk a bit about vulnerability and openness. When there is an unbalance in the conversation, so you have someone, male or female, who is unloading something. They've actually opened up to unload something that's pretty heavy to them. And they've shared a vulnerability. I have seen sometimes where it's listened to intently. There's empathy given, not pity. There's compassion given. And, and yet, because they, in a moment of quote, their weakness, shared something vulnerable with you that's sensitive to them, you're off the friend list because it's uncomfortable to them to have shared. In that sort of 
it's hard not to have hurt feelings, even when you understand it intellectually. Because if, if it's a reminder of something they, they wish they hadn't shared or a weakness they believe they've revealed that they didn't mean to, isn't vulnerability this cauldron of complexity? Well, there's an aspect to that that's very true. And yes, I've been in that situation as well. Uh, it's very, very painful mm-hmm. to realize that someone who you offered your trust to um, has turned their back on you. Um, you still had the moment of honor, though, where you were trusted. Right. right. So the question is, how do you proceed? You know, how do you go forward at that point? And I often find that whether or not there's going to be a continued friendship, allowing that person to feel very much, uh, to feel your presence in that mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. may be exactly the thing that they needed to go on um, with, without, those, without that burdensome memory being contained just within themselves. Uh, it's, it's a tough thing because we don't like to lose friends, right? But this experience has happened to me so often, Linda, in the work that I've done with veterans, that I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a professional detachment. I'm not trained as a clinician. But what I do have is a sense of how the, the individual who shared their burdensome memory with me uh, must have felt some relief at being able to share that. Mm-hmm. So what I say at the end of those sorts of situations is thank you for sharing this with me. Please know that you're not alone and that I will cherish this memory and protect it for you. There's really not much more in terms of expectation that you can have beyond that. At, you know, at the end of the day, you might part ways, never see each other again, or you might circle back after years Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, that, you know, we live in the moment that that whole practice of being present has to come without an expectation of, you know, future results. Right. And I, I believe very strongly that people cross our paths for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I will often look back and say, hmm, I that I was put there to absorb what I was hearing, which also brings me to the next topic, which is trust. I think that whether you're in a position of trusting or distrusting, you are affecting the outcome of the next conversation or the next situation. And I think that sometimes it can be self-fulfilling. I'll give you an example of, say, you're with a, a person who has been given a a poor medical just delayed treatment for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So there's distrust there. Going forward, if you're carrying distrust, it's more likely that you're not going to acknowledge what has happened um, in a positive light and move forward because um, – who was it? It was Nietzsche who said, you know, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that I can't trust you anymore. Yes. And, you know, that's a very interesting thing coupled with the vulnerability and the trust. So speak to a little bit about trust as we head toward the next break. Time is going quickly. It's really flying. Trust is a tough one. You have to build up to it, I think, in order for it to be um, 
to be useful in a way. Mm-hmm. Someone you don't know, you begin to know them, you understand where they come from, and eventually you build a relationship that may have loyalty in it. There may other aspects of what could ultimately be trust. But it's not as simple as just signing an agreement and saying, yeah, I trust you'll do that and you trust I'll do this. If you really want to get to the core of that, you have to be willing to invest the time that it takes to learn about who it is that you want to offer your trust to at at a very deep level. Sometimes that takes years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've experienced people um, in my own family who have a very difficult time just automatically trusting. Now, I think as little babies, we automatically trust. And over time, we get beaten, right? And, And we learn to be more careful about how we offer our trust. And all of the aspects that are involved in building up to that place where you can once again trust with a full heart, um, those are the things we need to practice. We need to practice loyalty and discretion and discrimination and appreciation, all the things that they like to show is the good stuff. But there's some hard ones behind here, too. Um, practicing honor is very difficult. But if you want to trust someone, you need to be versed in the practice of honor so that they will offer the trust that you offer them back to you. Mm-hmm. It's building to that two-way street. It's not an instantaneous thing like it was when we were all babies, right? Mm-hmm. Gosh, especially in this day and age. How can I trust someone who's just, you know, it, bleeding all over my Facebook page about something that won't, they won't even talk to me about, right? So this, this conversation right. that we're having is about building up that trust, the dialogue that we need to become better at instead of just arguing that if we could build dialogue, we could build trust. So there's things that have to come before that moment where I look in your eyes and say, yes, I trust you. So how do you believe that women express their trust? Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to cry foul. I'm a guy. How do I know that? (laughs) (laughs) I would like it from the male viewpoint. That's one reason why we have male guests on here from time to time, because I think we need the perspectives of communication from the opposite gender. I, I think that we do communicate differently. I think those differences can be celebrated. I'll give you a break and let you do this after the break huh. but, so you can think about it a little bit. But I, I do believe that um, men and women, we're, we're put in boxes sometimes and, and it's anticipated how we will respond. And when you don't quite fit the box or you respond in a different manner, it can either you know, draw a conversation out of someone or it can stop it cold in its tracks. So let's discuss that more after the break. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio. We'll be right back after this message. We're Wise for Women Radio and we'll return after these short messages. was the first item ever sold on ebay believe it or not it was a broken laser pointer sold in september 1995 for $14.83 the founder of ebay asked the buyer if he knew the laser pointer was broken when he bought it the owner simply said i'm a collector of broken laser pointers seems pointless to me but this seemingly worthless item was a bellwether of merchandise to follow here are some Jifu jets or other unnecessary items that have been sold on eBay. Some Goostrum noodles will buy anything, even a cornflake. Yes, a cornflake shaped like the state of Illinois, sold for about $1,350. What was one of the most expensive eBay.com purchases? A $140 million yacht. It's merging never- 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Golf is a good way to supplement your fitness program, but watch out for golf injuries. The most common occur in the low back, elbows, shoulders, hands, and wrists, and are defined as either cumulative from overuse or acute traumatic injuries. The impact and stress of the repetitive motion of the swing is sometimes hard on the muscles and joints. The Mayo Clinic says it's important to consider ways to reduce your risk of golf injuries. They recommend that you warm up first. Be sure to start slowly, work up to your desired level of play, strengthen your muscles to protect your joints, and reduce your risk of injury and build up your endurance. Focus on flexibility and keep your muscles pliable, strong, and flexible. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a, if you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook. Welcome back. Right before the break, I put Bill on the spot asking him, how do does he, as a one representative of the male gender, believe that women express their emotions? I, I want to couch that in because I don't want to put him on the spot as a spokesman for all men. Um, but I want to couch that in the thought that I do believe that men and women express things differently and emotions differently. And there was a wonderful quote by an author friend of mine. Her name is Lou Paget, And she said, attention is the greatest seduction. And I've been in situations, or I hope you've been in a situations situation where someone has truly listened to you listened without looking at their phone without the pings going off they've turned off the silence on the silence and they're actually listening to you and how that feels it feels so differently than if you're just squeezed in between a million other things they're like no no go ahead keep talking i'm listening talk about how you think that is perceived by both men and women this is a great question and very necessary, I think, for all of us to consider. And, okay, so it's a gender question. And generally speaking, guys are the, you know, we're the locked up ones. And women are a bit more open with the, their ability to express emotion. So there are skills that you have, Linda, that I have to learn. And, and probably likewise, vice versa. And, and vice versa, right. So uh, when it comes to this whole idea of trust, uh, your your notion of attention, I think, is a really good one. It's very, very difficult for me to go out on stage and give a speech or give a performance when I look out in the audience and see people on their cell phones or whatnot. So I get that. I really do. The question is, whose responsibility is it, right? Is it the speaker's responsibility to yank the chain a little bit and say, hey, you know, woman whom I love, getting my wife's <laughs> attention, I need to talk to you. Please pay attention to me now, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it? The other way around, is it the woman's responsibility to say, Bill, you know, when you want to talk to me, get off your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Put down your phone and look me in the eyes because it's important for me to hear you. And I can't do that, Bill, unless you're giving me your full attention. Uh, maybe we need these reminders now because it seems like we've just uh, disrespected one another to the extent where it's commonplace to not pay attention to one another when we're talking 
or when we're even in the same room. I used to laugh because my son would come over with his fiance and they'd spend the weekend at my place. And most of the weekend, if we weren't out doing something in the beautiful world where I lived, was uh, they'd sit on the couch with their laptops next to each other doing whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is fine. This is good. They've been together, what, eight, nine years now, and, and they've established this relationship. I have to believe that a relationship that's lasted that long has an intimate conversational level to it that they may not show me, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. And it's not like there's one way. This is a story by way of example. That ability to offer the attention, man to woman, woman to woman, man to man, it's going to vary between all of us who are out there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll be able to do it um, easier than at other times. If you, for example, really need your boss to pay attention to a situation that, that, that you need their attention for and you're not getting it, well, you've got a responsibility to sort of hold up the flag, right? And say, mm-hmm. stop, wait, we need to discuss this. Not in an attacking way, because I'm sure it's not the boss's uh, intention to disrespect you in any way. People are busy. But to claim that moment where you really need to get to trust, to get to authenticity, and to have a real communication, uh, it's taking more and more energy to get to that place, even with our intimate partners, because of the noise and, and fury that's all around us most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Some of it's distraction. I'll grant you that. But are, are we getting close to a walk forward on this question? It's a great one, and I want to make sure we get to the answer. Well, I think one of the things that I, I'll i walk us forward a little bit is that I use as a barometer of if am I communicating well. Um, I have a number of male friends, and I have a number of intergenerational friends because I want their perspectives on things. So if I feel like I've been misunderstood, I'm one of those people who takes the blame for everything. So it must be my fault if it didn't work out. That's not always the case in, in this day and age, but it is, is my default fall back and that's a blessing and a curse but I ask for perspective this happened here's what I heard what did you hear and from both sets of groups the intergenerational ones or the male ones I'll hear no no that isn't what that meant at all it meant this and I think you touched a nerve when you said that and I appreciate having a support system it's a small support system because I'm an introvert, but I trust them to give me feedback. I'm never giving away anything I'm discussing you know, with the other person. It's not a, a triangular conversation. It's help me understand to how to communicate better. Do you feel that people are doing that these days or are they getting mad and going away? Are they shutting down conversations with a label? Are we knowing how to persuasively speak anymore and and do we take time to be quiet with one another that's a lot of questions but but take it any one of those i love all of them uh, first the the practice that you're talking about is a practice of dialogue mm-hmm. i said this linda did you hear me what did you hear and, and going over that until we get clarity um that's not a practice that generally speaking many of us are very good at anymore we're pretty good at monologue. Um, if you look at all of the things that we laugh at on TV or on YouTube, um, we laugh at monologue. 
We don't actually respond as well um, to dialogue anymore, although there is some clever dialogue still in some places. Mm-hmm. But as a tool for building trust and communication, that's not so good. Uh, we can one-up each other all day long, but that isn't dialogue. And what you've described is the process of of getting through that sort of facade to a meaningful conversation, one where we can develop meaning together rather than just laughing at some external meaning that's been created for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- there are ways in on that. And clearly humor is one of those ways. Um, it's a lot easier to talk about bad news if you have a light heart when you do it. It might be very bad news, but there's always a silver lining somewhere. And if that animates your dialogue in a way that lets you get through it without demeaning the other person or, you know, gosh, I even, I even hate to bring these things up. You know, if, if you can get to a place where you're, you're at least at neutral mm-hmm. in the way that you communicate. And, and I don't want to use the word judgment because judgment is important where we need to make good judgments, right? We need to be discriminatory. If we're thinking about two different alternatives, we weigh them, we discuss them together. So those are part of it too. Not in the politically correct sense, but in the wise decision-making well, sense. Discernment. discernment, yeah. Yes. So do you see how we're going? It, it, we're, we're dialing this in in a sort of a very narrow focus to say, yes, here's our conversation. Here, Our dialogue is going to involve these things, but not those things. So how we have this conversation together actually strengthens the connection that we want to build together, deepens our trust. And I've had this work, uh, now we'll get around to the to the gender, I've had this work with men, I've had it work with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, at some level, if you're both committed to it, There's gender goes away, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Right, it takes two. It takes two. And and nothing wrong with one, nothing wrong with sending that handwritten thank you note. That can be a total one way. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do some work together, if you want to accomplish something together, raise a family, start a business – Let's get to that level where we can communicate with authenticity because we're going to need it. And again, the research shows that even businesses that do that, business to businesses that are able to communicate at that level, Mm -hmm. not only do they want to work together and do things together, but they do more and better together than at the other levels, whatever those might be. They're more creative. And I, I think also men and women then work um, more synergistically together with that way. I always found it helpful to have men and women on my executive team because I think we think a little bit differently and express ourselves a little bit differently. And I love the creativity that came from that, which I think is important. Let's talk about one more thing before we're down to no time at all. Do you feel that conversations um, between men and women or men and men and women and women, whatever the uh, relationship may be, are going beyond the superficial these days, or are they really staying um, and in, what is it, a mile wide and an deep? I often no. feel very unfulfilled in a conversation if it's you know very fast and very blurred, but it's a big topic, and I'd love to come back, but I have a feeling it's not going to come back. Do you feel that our fast-moving world and the digital world is making our world much more important to communicate well the first time because you may not get a second time? Yes, I do. It's very difficult to be a person that seeks those authentic conversations because you have to let so many of the superficial ones go by. Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's just sort of the price that I have to pay for that. Every so often, you get one that really matters, but most of the time they don't, and that's fine. You know, it 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 has to be fine. Otherwise, you'd get locked up and wouldn't be able to carry on. You know, if you focused on all the superficiality of it. But you know what I do love is that disasters, uh, crises tend to bring out the best in all of us. Bingo. They they tend to bring out the helping, the empathy, the support, the the positive things that we were all taught or most of us were taught as yeah. children and through life because life humbles you. And so when life has humbled you and you're able to help someone else, I I, I find that it often helps the person helping the others far more being helped. I, I talk about this with my caregivers all the time. And I, I think there's a huge human spirit that you've tapped into with this book. And I think it's there. And I think our talking about it today really helps. Is there a website that people can go to to learn more about your work and you? Sure. Uh, BillProtzman.com is out there. Uh, MusicCare.net is another great one. You can search for the book, More Than Human. It's out there. Uh, these will all be in the show notes for anybody who's listening right now. If you want to right. see it, it'll be on the notes later. Um, you can call me anytime if you want to call up. It's 800-785-8596. Feel free. I take calls. So uh, you know, reach out. I'm here and would love to speak with you. Bill, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I am fascinated by this topic and, and hope that we all have that urge now to connect more deeply with one another and to understand we are all human and embrace that humanness. Thank you for listening to Wise Health for Women Radio. We'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.